felt kind of like Groundhog's Day on Saturday as Boston College gets blown out by Wake Forest in Winston-Salem. It was a close game for a bit, but it really never felt that close. On today's show, we're going to be joined by Mitch Wolf to talk about what happened and get into where does BC go from here. All that more on today's Locked on BC. You are Locked on Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on BCAJ Black here. Joined, as always, with Mondays with Mitch. Mitch Wolf, how's it going? Doing all right. Uh, game was very frustrating in the moment, but after thinking about it, uh, you know, like we talked about on Friday, this was kind of the expected result. So, you know, you, you kind of have to rethink about it and say, like, yeah, like, this is what we expected. It just, you know, was never really going to go BC's way, and that's what happened. All right, before we get into this, this episode of Locked On Boston College is brought to you by Sling TV. Sling has something for everyone, especially when it comes to college football coverage. With the massive lineup lineup of games across the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and SEC, I can always catch the games I want on Sling, and now you can too. Check out Sling TV now to see the massive lineup of games they have all season long. Sling, the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it today. All right, so 43-15, I had the prediction of 42-14, so I wasn't that far off. Um you know, it, it felt cl- like there were points where it felt like BC could come back, but you know, it Sam Hartman, what do you have? Six touchdowns. Yeah. Something like that. He, you know, he was, he was just methodical and he just shredded up BC's defense. And then we just got back into watching one of the most frustrating offenses in the country do what they do best, which is play frustrating football. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there were times where BC had their moments like, that first field goal drive, but they mismanaged how they were calling the game. So they had to burn two timeouts and they only got a field goal out of it. It wake gets the ball after that. They immediately score. Um, you know, BC kind of got lucky on that draw on that insane drive with the fake punt and then the double fumble. And then the Zay touchdown, you know, that was kind of crazy. And, you know, BC's only down by five at that point, but then wake goes right down the field again and scores. Uh, to extend the lead again, you know, BC had a few opportunities in the final two minutes of the first half, but couldn't get anything going. Um, they had the touchdown in the third quarter to bring it within 13. And then they got the interception, but then they couldn't do anything after that. And then Wake scored touchdowns on consecutive drives. And it was essentially over at that point. Right. And it, it felt like it was too easy at points for Wake. And I know Halfley was, he's going back to the injuries thing. Um, they lose Elijah Jones during the game, which was a big loss because he's been playing well. It's so funny. They it seems like every team targets him. They just go at him through the whole game. Uh, but he, do you, do you have any thoughts on why they're doing that? I think most teams think that he's a little aggressive in terms of hand, and you know Wake really likes to exploit um, the defense in terms of defensive pass interference. So going after a guy that is a little handsy is you know good for drawing penalties. Um, yep. They have a. They actually had Donovan Green on him, and then they, which was kind of surprising. I thought BC would try to get Jones on At Perry, but, um, yeah. I mean, and then he's not. You know, in terms of straight line speed, he's not the fastest. So, <clears throat> I, I can see why teams did it, but I thought in his limited snaps, he was actually pretty decent. Um, you know, I, I think people might get frustrated by saying, "Oh, you know, wake through all over them." And it's like they did, but there were very few times where. I mean, there were times where it happened, sure, but like 
it wasn't a matter of like Wake just, you know, like repeatedly just finding these guys wide open in space and them getting huge chunks of plays. Like they had to make like really contested catches, especially early in the game. Like Amari Jackson was playing well early. Jones was playing well early as well. DeBerry had some nice plays. So like, and you know, every time the commentators had it, they were like, yeah, like, I mean, this is this is great coverage by the defender. It's just a, a better throw and a better catch. Like on Hartman's throw to the end zone, I think it was their first touchdown where he hit the guy on the back shoulder. Like, yep. I think it was Jackson was in perfect position, but like it was again perfect ball. You know, it's hard to defend those. So, you know, you give them some credit. And then like we talked about on Friday, like the key to this game was BC's offense, staying on the field, keeping Wake's offense off the field and, you know, giving the defense time to rest. And at the end of the day, they just couldn't do that. And I think because of that, the more essentially the more cracks you give Wake Forest, they're just going to, you know, eventually break it wide open. And, you know, they talked about how Wake runs like one of the fastest tempo offense in the country. They have average, I think, 30 seconds between snaps. Uh, and then they run, I think, an average of, I think they're one of the highest in terms of number of plays that run seems like and they're in the 70s or 80s. So, yep. you know, th- th- this was just a recipe for disaster. And then, you know, we learn on for BC's offense that uh, Drew Kendall's going to be out. Finn Dursing's out for the year. So Jackson Ness has to kick inside to center. Nick Thomas has to start at left guard. So. You're essentially playing a third string left guard, a backup center who hadn't played the position until summer, um, a backup right guard who switched over from defensive line, uh, a backup right tackle who was supposed to be playing guard. And you have a starting left tackle who, you know, I, I get, we say that Ajapil has been the best player. He has his share of struggles, as would any, you know, he's still a first year starter, like, and he's playing the toughest position on the offensive line, but maybe besides center. So, you know, he's going to have his, uh, you know, days where he's not as good. This was one of them where he allowed four pressures, one sack and had a penalty. So, you know, this is just not, it was just not going to work. <laughs> yep. And if we're talking about the offense and the offensive line, I don't want to call out a kid. Well, let's just look at it in another, you know, I, I had a friend text me about this and he says, we always preface saying this with that, but I mean, I, I think we need to call a spade a spade here. <laughs> well, let's just say that he struggled a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I go back to, I, I can, I can, sort of changed where I'm looking at this and, and we've talked about this, Mitch, how the heck does B I know they're like, you know, skimming for throughout their offensive line to find anyone that can play. And halfway's like, yeah, we don't have this guy and this guy and this guy, but you've got at least Jude Bowery and Elijah Krasnovic. I don't know why you haven't tried either of them. Bowery and Bowery's playing when they go six yeah. offensive linemen, he's coming on the field. So, and he had to play yeah. some right tackle as well. He wasn't, he only had, uh, let's see, six pass block reps, and he allowed two pressures. So, again, that's not that great either, but I would still want to see it. Like, again, and those guys are playing against Rondell Bothroyd, who is Wake's best uh, edge defender and arguably their best defender overall. So, you know, there are times where that guy's going to beat you. But the number of times where Jack Conley just got embarrassed was insane. And on three-man rushes where, you know, you got – it's like – guy to wide nine like you know what he's gonna do like and he just completely set wrong and then just allowed himself to get bull rushed back to the quarterback it's just i mean on 45 pass blocking reps six pressures four hurries one hit one sack and i, I can't believe it's only one sack I, i'm pretty sure there's at least one more and three penalties two of which were questionable false start penalties i'm pretty sure so i'll, I'll wipe some of those off um but I, I mean, I, I, I've said all I have, to, I can say about this, but I mean, it's just, I just can't understand why. Again, like I tweeted out, I think that Jeff Halfley committed a crime in some way, shape, or form, and Jack Conley saw it, and he's <laughs> using that leverage against Halfley to make sure he stays in the starting lineup. That, that's really at this point, that's the most logical explanation for why he's still in the lineup because 
there are just plays where he is it's just, he gets beat in two seconds and the entire play is dead and again like people say oh like you can try to coach you know scheme up some things and coach some things where that doesn't happen and it's like yeah, you can sure but especially in a game like this where you do have to come back there are plays where you're just gonna have to you know do a, a normal pass set and win your one-on-one matchup and Conley just can't do that. And, you know, I think people will be like, oh, it's he's ta- it's because, you know, there's a new offensive line coach. He's not good. It's like these problems were here last year. Like, I mean, you could argue that uh, Googs hasn't improved Conley, which I-, I would definitely agree with that. But I-, I really just don't think there's any way to improve it. I just think the guy is just not good. He's not a ACC starting caliber offensive lineman. He, you know, might not even be an, an, FB- an FBS caliber starting offensive lineman, to be honest. It was interesting. There was some really other than – our friend that we we're just talking about. There were some really good pass block grades uh, for BC. And yeah. This yeah. The two guards Alex had a really good game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and I think it's because wake doesn't have as much of a great interior pass rusher, but yeah, I mean, he had a great pass rush pass protecting grade, even Jackson Ness, you know, yep. uh, you know, halfway praised him. And I, I think that some of that praise is deserved. Obviously there were some issues with the snaps, you know, some went high, some went low. There was timing issues. And, you know, you, I know I talked about, you know, coming out of the bye week should be helpful, but you know, if you're a guy like Jackson S, you know, you're still learning a new position. You're learning this offense at the center position that there are going to be those hiccups. Um, but for him to, you know, at least be decent in terms of once the ball is snapped, that, that, that is, that is nice to see at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I mean, BC couldn't run the ball to save their lives. Uh, you know, Danny Long was, was their leading rusher on that fake punt. Uh, none of the running backs had more than I think six yards. Uh, you know, Dracovic had some nice runs, but they actually used him in the designed running game, which was nice. Yep. to see to at least you know add a new wrinkle to the offense but and they, they they just couldn't block like there was just every you know every run was getting stuffed behind the line of scrimmage it seemed so they're just really and you know in the passing game you know i think i thought Jakovic was okay he missed a decent amount of throws um displacement wasn't super great um i'm gonna pause you there because i want to talk more about Jakovic okay. after yeah. the break sure because <laughs> right. I, I think he's he's a hot button topic that i think mm-hmm. a lot of folks want to hear more about so we'll get to that in just a moment but before we do that i want to tell you about our good friends over at nissan nissan has worked with us to create a new segment across the locked on college network titled thrilling moments where we highlight the most exciting plays from the boston college weekend game or throughout the history of our alma mater this week's thrilling moment from the eagles is matt ryan's big win in virginia tech in 2007 now matt ryan that was a game where bc looked like they were they were down and out and he leads bc back for a big come behind come from behind win in a in a game that you know, was so important for the future of this program. And just to look at how far PC has fallen off since then. Uh, But it was such a big moment in the rain in Blacksburg. Now this segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all new frontier Armada or Pathfinder today available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, we're, we're back and we're talking about our friend Phil Dracovic. Um, and I want to get your perspective on this because it, it feels like I feel like it's Groundhog's Day every week. And some of that I get is on the offensive line. But Djokovic has struggled, too. And I, you were about to start getting into it. Uh, but he missed some really easy passes at different points. And his I, I don't know. There's something about his throws, too, that just look wobblier than usual. I don't know. Um, let me let me hear a little bit about what you're thinking about Djokovic right now. I think that the just complete 
breakdown of the offensive line has, I think it's shattered his confidence a little bit. And I think that it's messed with his, you know, internal clock as a quarterback. So I think like whenever he's dropping back, like in the back of his mind, he's like, all right, like, where can I escape to, you know, so I can keep the play alive as opposed to just reading the defense. You know, I think that that's part of it. Yep. I think, you know, and I think that, you know, some of the issues that he's had in the past, you know, some just kind of like missing some of those easy throws. Um, those get exacerbated when your offensive line is putrid and you're not able to, you know, go through your process like normal. So, so that's part of it. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times, like when he did have some, he did miss some of those easy ones. Like he was being flushed. Like I know there was that one play where he got flushed out to the left a little bit and then, he, you know, tried to dump it to, I think, Joseph Griffin, but then they were saying, oh, like Zay Flowers is wide open down the field. And, you know, when you're kind of running to your left as a right-hand quarterback, you know, throwing that, you know, 15-yard sailor out slash corner route, it, that, that's a tough throw to make for most quarterbacks, especially when there's a guy like right behind you. You know, I think if, if Phil would have tried to like set his feet properly, make that throw, it would have been a sack. So, yeah. you know, I get him trying to dump it down to the easy one. He just couldn't complete it. Um but there were some other ones, even like there was one that one play where he kind of tried to hit Garo out of the backfield and just led him too far. Didn't and Garo probably could have caught it. It was close. Um, there was a, a few plays where he and Zay seemed to kind of have some miscommunications. Uh, and they, that seems to happen a decent bit. So I'm not sure exactly why that's happening. Um, it, is, it is impressive considering that it is a, a, re, a relatively a relatively frequent occurrence. Yeah. And Zay Flowers is still as dynamic as he is. Um so, you know, and I, I, you know, every week now we're hearing the calls for Emmett Moorhead, and I still really don't think that that is a viable solution because um, I think Emmett Moorhead has a lot of the same issues that Phil has in terms of, and, and the, the issue, the other issue is that Emmett Moorhead is not as mobile or able to extend plays as Jerkovic is. So a lot of those pressures that Jerkovic gets where he is able to, you know, at least buy some time and, you know, maybe just get, just throw it away. You know, yep. I think those would turn into sacks for Moorhead. And I still think he has some of those issues of just not being uh, overly accurate. So um, I don't I don't think that's the right answer, honestly. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure how much we'll talk about it. But luckily, BC has some more winnable games in the near future. So, you know, ideally, this would be this is a good opportunity for the offense to, you know, try to get some semblance of some good things going. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, overall, it is very frustrating for Djokovic. I, th- I think that we might have just bought into the hype a little too much. Um, yep. I think, I think I did, um, you know, kind of looking at some of his play, even across the last few years with a more critical eye, you can kind of see where it's like, okay, like we might've just overestimated his, just his physical talent, even like yep. there are times where, you know, he's not able to make some of those downfield throws. It's like, okay, I just don't think he has the arm talent or arm strength to make those throws. Like, you know, guys that we thought he would be like, he, I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, it's not, he kind of starting to remind me of, this is a very random comparison, but Steven Montez, who was a quarterback for Colorado for the last few, for a few years ago, who I think switched to tight end at the NFL. So, you know, big guy who can move around a decent bit, but just isn't consistently accurate. Um, So, you know, and the problem is like, I just don't think there's really any way we see this getting better unless the offensive line, you know, makes a drastic improvement. And I I think at this point, you know, given that the bye week is passed, I think, I think I, I, I think I'm not sure if I said this, but, you know, the bye week probably would have been the time to make those changes in terms of who's playing on the offensive line because you give them that extra week to prepare. Obviously, yep. they had to make changes that were um, uh, instigated by injury, so that was one part of it. But I think that now, you know, even though it's uh, now it's back to a normal week schedule, like I think you really need to start thinking about plugging different guys in because, I mean, the, it, the offense just can't 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 consistently move the ball with the guys who are playing now. 
Right, right. And I and to the folks, I know some folks like you mentioned that were kind of, you know, call, calling for Emmett Moorhead. I just I agree with you. Like, I don't think there's I, I the the rationale I hear all the time is what 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 could it hurt? And my response is it could hurt a lot because if you let Moorhead out there and he's getting clobbered every week by this offensive line that he has no clue how to manage you're going to then get him into the same skitter, you know, like it's the, it's what happened to David Carr with, with right. the Texans when they first started. Like he just got, he got the crap beat out of him like every game, every week. And like, eventually it just broke his brain to the point that he couldn't be a serviceable NFL quarterback anymore. And, you know, obviously this would only, this would be a much smaller sample size of Moorhead, you know, with what five games left this year, you know, next year, I, I, I knock on wood saying this, but I can't imagine the offensive line being worse next year unless right. they get, you know, destroyed by an injury plague again. Um, so, you know, next year it could improve, but yeah, I mean, I think you ride out Jacoby because again, I think he at least gives you that opportunity. He has that key. You know, I, I, I know that there are issues with, you know, his relationship with Zay in terms of like those miscommunications, but he's still able to, you know, he still has a lot of faith in him. He still throws in the ball a ton and he does have the ability to extend plays and be more of a threat as a runner. So I, I still think, you know, despite some of these issues, of the quarterbacks on the team, Dracovic gives you the best opportunity to win on a weekly basis. All right. In our final segment, I'm going to talk with Mitch about where Jeff Halfley stands as a coach and look at the last five, five games. So we have five games left uh, in the season and where BC is at and what they could do to finish off the year. Before we do that, sweat is something that everyone deals with. I am a big time sweater. And when I wear a dress shirt, it's always a um, Russian roulette, whether I am going to sweat through it or not. But that all changed when I found sweat block. Sweat block changed the game for me. It was created by a doctor to help with excessive sweating. Doctor created and doctor recommended. It works like a charm. You basically wipe it on before you go to bed and you are good to go the next day. No more sweat, no more embarrassing stains. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try sweat block and save 20% off promo code locked on at sweatblock.com also available on amazon this is locked on bcaj black here i'm with mitch wolf it's our mondays with mitch if you're listening to this and you have not done so already please subscribe to our youtube page all you have to do is hit that subscribe button right now you get all of our notices all of our videos sent directly to you and you can also comment and talk along um with other fans and so we'll get into um, Jeff Halfley in a, in a second, but we have a question from our comment section. Lynn Suber asks, hey, AJ, is the offensive line coach the problem? Mitch, I'll let you answer that one. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I think that I think the tools he's been given to work with just aren't good enough. Um, you know, and that's because of the injury bug. Like we saw guys like, you know, Drew Kendall was improving. We saw, you know, Finn Durstein in, in the few games that he played was playing decently well. Uh, Pilo, like I said, he struggled this week. He had some issues with Clemson, but everybody does. Um, but he had, he was good early in the season. I think he's still playing through injury. So you're seeing guys like that play decently well. And even, even Dwayne Alec, like is having his moments. Um, yep. And, you know, Jackson Ness, again, I think was a problem, but you know, when he's a guard, it's, 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 it's not good, but it wasn't, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's not catastrophic. Um, I think, I don't, I don't think that is the biggest problem. Um, I think, you know, obviously there's room for improvement, but you know, I, I think you, I think from the coach and I think you were seeing some improvement with some of the other players. Um, 
but then the injury bug obviously hits that that you know puts a wrench in things. So I I wouldn't say the offensive line coach is a problem at this point. All right, so let's get into the coaching. So Halfley's got five more games left. Uh, you got UConn this week, Duke, NC State, and Notre Dame and Syracuse. You know where can the season go? Like where do you where do you predict the rest of the season goes, Mitch? Well, I think I think now I mean I think we also need again we need to take the wake loss with a bit of a, gr- a grain of salt because you know again like we said going into the game this was probably never going to be a win uh, this was going to be not super competitive it was honestly more competitive than it probably had any right to be um, and Wake is probably a top it's a top they're a top fifteen maybe a top twelve team in the country um, they're just very well coached very very well organized good team so you know give give Wake some credit they you know they they beat an inferior team and that that's to be expected. So I, I don't think we can be like, Oh, like BC really deserved to win this one. Cause they just never did. Um, so looking at the next few games, you know, I think, I think at UConn versus Duke and at, I think all three of those are winnable. Two of them should be wins um, at UConn pretty much. I mean, if, if you, if they lose to UConn, you know, that then, you know, I, I, I can't really even imagine what we're going to say or what this team is going to do because yeah. Um, Duke is winnable. You know, Duke has had some nice moments this season. You know, they just came off a big win against Miami, but Miami turned the ball over eight times. Uh, you're not going to see that every week. So, you know, I, I think Duke, I think that's a game, that's a home game for BC. It's a night game. So that, that'll be helpful for them. Um, NC state, you know, like I've said most of the season, even before the Leary injury that they were overrated. And now that Leary's out for the season, like they're still ranked, but I don't think that'll last. Notre Dame is hard to figure out, but I, I think they're going to just eventually be too talented across the board for BC to, you know, really stand a chance against because of how, just how bad BC is. Um, and then home against Syracuse, you know, Syracuse kind of got chipped out of a win against Clemson. Um, and, you know, I th- I, th- I noticed this in the two games uh, in BC's game and the Clemson game that, I mean, the, the refs in the ACC really, really like to see favorites win. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they really want to make sure that, you know, teams that are playing well, that are, you know, the favorite teams get every opportunity to, uh, win the game, whether by, you know, calling penalties that shouldn't be called or not calling penalties that should be called, but I digress. Um, but Syracuse is still a pretty solid squad. Uh, that is BC's last home game. So, you know, you hope you get a bit of a juice from that, especially because Syracuse is going to be running through the gauntlet of tough teams uh, in this back half of the season. So, you know, may, 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 maybe BC surprises people there, but I really, I, I'm not uh, optimistic about it. So, you know, BC gets to BC win. I'm, I'm seeing like four and eight, five and seven. Um, and, you know, I, I think this team has just not been like overall just not been good. Um, the injuries in the offensive line have really just completely hampered the offense. The injuries in the secondary have not not been as problematic, but they've still hurt. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the, the the inability of the offense to consistently hold drives together has been a major issue that hurts the defense, like we've said for weeks that, yep. you know, I think if, if, you know, even against Louisville, you know, they just gave them some opportunities to rest and, you know, just gave them some time to recuperate, even though it was a high scoring, you know, back and forth game. But man, I mean, if they can, if they can just like, just hold a few drives together, you know, just give this defense a chance to rest. Cause you know, like, like I said with wake, like th- there were plays where, you know, wake just had to make really incredible plays and they were able to do so, but BC was in good position to stop them. Um, you know, I, uh, until kind of the end of the game, I wouldn't say that wake was really, you know, they weren't really getting much in the running game. And I think that was, you know, their leading rusher was justice Ellison who was the starter, but he only had 36 yards. Um, 
you know, Hartman had one rushing touchdown. So, you know, they, they took away the run game, which is good to see. Um, but then obviously they got killed in the passing game. And, you know, BC was a little more true to their traditional game plan than I expected in terms of playing man coverage uh, and like single high safety stuff. But again, like I thought for the, you know, most of the first half um, and even a bit into the second half, you know, they were playing decently well, you know, they got wake off the field sometimes. Um, but then the problems would arise when, you know, the BC offense would go three and out and send them right back out in the field. So, you know, I, I think I think this defense is it's still not you know great. It's definitely not great. You could argue it's not good, but they're encouraging signs. But they're just not being given good opportunities. So, you know, I think this season we do just kind of chalk this up to a throwaway. Uh, it's just, the team is just not as good, um, and the injuries have really hurt them. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping for you know two. Hopefully, maybe get three wins. Um, you know, if if it's two, I understand. So, you know, I, I guess if they get if they do get to three, then they could be, you know, one of those five and seven bowl teams. But again, I, I feel like Halfley might, you know, kind of I feel like he might reject that bowl invitation, honestly. <laughs> this, that'd be the third straight year without a or was it almost four or five? Like, can you imagine that if like BC? No, I guess it's only three because it was 2020 was bowl was COVID year. 2021 bowl. There was a bowl game which got canceled. And then um and then, uh, you know, this year it doesn't look likely, but, but then you add in the, uh, lightning game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's just BC is the stupidest bowl um, mm-hmm. record, but before you go, Mitch, I think the big question folks have is how hot is, do you think Jeff Halfley's seat is? I, I don't think it's that hot. I think folks are really getting themselves up and, and rightfully so getting upset about what they're seeing, but I feel like he's got at least a year or two more to to get his recruiting classes through and, and see if he is the answer or if he's not. I think I think he has until 2024. Um, I think that if they if they essentially like lose out the rest of the season, um, I think that 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 might be a problem. Like two and ten, you know, no matter I, I, I don't really like when people say injuries aren't an excuse because when they affect one position group. So, you know focused like the offensive line like i think it's not an excuse but it's an explanation um but even with that i think going you know two and ten or i i I won't say three and nine but two and ten would be a problem i and even then i still don't think he would get fired i'd probably would i would add i might not advocate for it but i would understand yeah um i think the issue with halfley is and i think you saw this with some of the he still has some of those issues with timeouts which you know we see nfl coaches struggle with timeouts and you know so it's not unique to him or college coaches or anything, but you know, he is obviously a first time head coach. Um, there are, he's still kind of learning about some things. Um, you know, sometimes the end of half management is a little confusing. Um, but you know, from we're even when BC was, you know, getting clobbered late in the late in the third and into the fourth quarter, like I, I still saw the team playing hard. You know, he mentioned in the post game press conference about how guys are, you know, still being positive, holding each other accountable. So I don't think he's lost the team or lost the locker room or anything yet. So that is encouraging to see, you know, these next two games where BC actually has a decent chance to win, you know, we'll see how that, how those go. Um, I think the seat is warm, uh, you know, I'll say lukewarm, um, but I don't think it's hot yet. I think he has at least two more seasons. If next year comes and it's an, and it's another bottoming out, um, I think maybe you could even see that that timeline accelerated by a year, but I think it would have to be another like really, really bad year where the team just 
doesn't look competitive, even against, you know, teams that they should be competitive against. And they have a very easy out of conference schedule next year. And I think they have a pretty reasonable in conference schedule. If I, because they don't play Clemson next year. Oh, thank God. Finally. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, Mitch, we're going to head. I'm going to, we're going to end this right now. Uh, tell people where they can find your work. You can find me at Mitchell T Wolf, W O L F E, uh, on Twitter. And, uh, I just updated the Zay Flowers record tracker, uh, so we'll be getting that update up. And I mean, this was a good game for him. So you know, I think I I was saying to Asia that if if they really really feed him against UConn, we could see him break some of those career records, which would be exciting. And I mean, at this point, that's one of the few things that BC fans would be excited about is Zay Flowers breaking some team records. Yeah, and uh, well, we have tons of. Uh content up on the site right now. We'll be getting some stuff about basketball back up again. Uh, check out Eagle insider and become a member. It is all, if you sign up monthly, it's only a dollar for the first month, but we have some regularly great deals for yearly uh, subscriptions as well. This is AJ black. If you're not done so already, please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just hit that subscribe button. It only takes two seconds and helps out the podcast tremendously for Mitch Wolf. This is AJ. Take care, everyone. <laughs>